So, got that? I think so. Well? <sighs> the side of the wicket in front of the batsman, nearer to his bat than to his body, is the... Offside. Good. The side behind him, nearer to his body than his bat, is the leg side. Excellent. Then... Then? Then it gets confusing. It's quite simple. On the off, behind the wicket and close to it are the slips. Behind them, third man. Who's he? It's a position, like mid-off. Silly. No, no, no. Silly mid-off's different altogether. I meant it's silly. The whole game. I can't think why you're so keen on it, Doctor. Well, you know, every man should have a hobby. Helps to while away eternity. So, where were we? A Chinaman? No, third man. A Chinaman's an off-break ball bowled by a left hand at a right-handed batsman. Really, what did they teach you at that school of yours? Oh, you know, useful things. Well, it's all in the almanac. Here, have a read. I'd rather eat. Anyway, we're landing. Read. Welcome to the Cloister Bell podcast. I'm Liam. Hi there, I'm Rob. Hope you're all well. And this week we are talking about the second big Finnish audio adventure, Phantasmagoria. Yet yeah, this is number two in the monthly range, released 20 years ago this year. Yeah, um, this one came out in October 1999. Uh, just before we get on to Phant- uh, Phantasmagoria, though, uh, just a couple of things. Um, when In our previous podcast, when we were looking at The Day of the Doctor... Uh, one of the things I was doing was uh, I mentioned my uh, preference with regards to David Tennant as the Doctor and we talked about the possibility of me creating a, a list of my uh, a list of the Doctors from my favourite to least favourite so I've given that a go um, I found it very, okay. I, found that, I found it very tricky because I remember years ago um, this was before the new series even started uh, I, I made an attempt my first attempt had Patrick Troughton at the bottom of the list, and I went, oh, well, that's clearly wrong. Then I tried it again, and then Peter Davison was at the bottom of the list, and I went, oh, well, that's clearly wrong. Oh, forget it. So I haven't really bothered since, and so I thought, because we mentioned it in the last podcast, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I, again, I found it really tricky. So, I mean, if you're interested, so what I did was, um, I only looked at the TV series, so I haven't included Peter Cushing or any of the comedy versions. Uh, and because I'm not overly familiar with Big Finish, that hasn't been taken into consideration. So what I've done is I've looked at the actor, the character, and the overall series that they were in. Okay. And at some point, I'm going to have to jig this around, because even though I I did spend quite some time trying to get this list done, um, it has wielded some surprises. One thing I want to make perfectly clear, though, is that Every actor who's played the Doctor, I've always thought they're great and I really, really like them. I want to make that perfectly clear because at the bottom of the list is Peter Capaldi. He's a really good actor and I like his Doctor. But anyway, so so starting at the bottom, keep Peter Capaldi. Oh, is this ranked least to worst? <laughs> how would you classify how you're ranking them? Um, oh, I don't know. Favorite to well, just 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 go for it, yeah. Favorite to least favorite. I don't know. Anyway, see what I you... bet Peter Capaldi's listening right now. <laughs> of all the doctors, <laughs> of all the doctors, he's listening, and I'm really disappointed. <laughs> if he is, 
And let's face it, there's a high chance he is. Uh, I'm really sorry, uh, Mr. Capaldi, um, but you are still really good. Anyway, <laughs> so Peter Capaldi, then Colin Baker, mm. then in a, then I put in joint position Paul McGann and Jodie Whittaker, then David Tennant, Patrick Troughton, William Hartnell, Christopher Eccleston, Peter Davison, Matt Smith, and then Sylvester McCoy, Tom Baker, and in at number one, John Pertwee. John Pertwee's number one. Oh, that's interesting. And where was Chris Felson um, halfway? Uh, yes. Cool. Um, so, any insight into that? Well, again, I mean, just just a few minutes before we started recording the podcast, there was a bit. I did do a bit of rejigging around because originally, I put um, I did put Christopher Eccleston higher. Um, so starting from the top, it would have been John Pertwee, Tom Baker, Sylvester McCoy, then Christopher Eccleston, Matt Smith, then Peter Davison. But then I was thinking about it. I said, well, I do think Matt Smith's better than Christopher Eccleston, so I'll change that. And they went, oh, but what about Peter? Yeah, so there was a bit of jigging around. I'm still not happy with the list. I think probably I'll just stick with what I've done in the past, which is John Pertwee's my favourite doctor, then everyone else is in John second place, and we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. Maybe I'll try my list for next week. Um, I'd definitely put Capaldi near the top. Yeah. I think as yeah. well, because the, 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 the thing I was doing as well was I was sort of looking at their overall, sort of like the stories as well, which is probably the wrong way to do it. Well, that was that's what I was just going to say. I, would, I like Capaldi. Mm. I like the way he was written, but I don't like the stories he was given so much. Yeah, I mean that isn't to say that all because I, I do like his first season. I really like. I think that's very strong. But then after that, I think it, it becomes a bit hit and miss with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the thing. So when, so initially when I was looking at it, and I've put uh, Peter Capaldi then Colin Baker just above him. Um, I thought that was a bit interesting because I think, again, I like Colin Baker's performance, but and he wasn't. I don't think he was particularly blessed with uh, with fantastic stories. There were some good stories in his in his time, um, but I was just thinking there are a bit more enjoyable than the ones that I don't like in the Capaldi era. So that's the reason why I sort of like I put him one above. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Again, this uh, might all change once you start getting into the big finish. Yes, that's true. Because as I say, because. Um, I'm not that yeah. I'm not overly familiar with the with the Big Finish Audio Adventures and with this podcast. Obviously, I I will, I will because we're going to be looking at them uh, a lot more. Um, and Colin Baker has become a bit of a favourite. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that you know he's fantastic in the Audio Adventures because one of his performance, but also because he's actually given some really really good material to work with. Mm-hmm. And going right. off uh, the sounds of time. Um, I think I'm going to just off his performance in that one story I think yeah I think, I think I'm going to enjoy listening to your stories because you'll you've hit the ground running with the audio with the audio stuff judging from this mm-hmm. and you've put um, McGann and Whitaker joint place mm-hmm. low down and again you're maybe not as familiar with the McGann audios as well yeah yeah that's true because that's another thing as well so 
it's a bit tricky with Paul McGann if you're just going off the TV series because we've got the TV movie and then the mini episode where uh, Night of the Doctor. And mm. then with Jodie Whittaker because she's only done one series and I, di- I didn't want to knock her off the list and not consider her at all. But she's only got one season uh, under her belt at the minute. So as time goes on, obviously that'll be something that'll change as well. Yeah. And eventually maybe you can throw John Hurt in the list. Yeah, because I, I found including the War Doctor a, a bit tricky as well. I think for the, for the same reasons, and I think, um, I mean, I think it was a very good idea. And John Hurt's a fantastic actor, as as we mentioned in the podcast for Day of the Doctor. But yeah, I just thought uh, this is difficult enough as it is without including the War Doctor. So I'll, I'll make it slightly easier. <laughs> but in all fairness, it, it wasn't that because some of the positions I'm happy with, but not all of them. And yeah. Like, I'm still debating. Do I is Christopher Eccleston better than William Hartnell? He definitely gives more of a um, dominant performance. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing as well because I think, I think, I think Patrick Trapman's a fantastic actor, and he's one of those people that's like such a, a fantastic British character actor, and he played the Doctor. I just think's amazing, and he played the part incredibly well. It's like, oh, he should be higher as well. So anyway, that's my first stab at doing a list uh, for, for, for many, many years. And uh, I'm not happy with it. But anyway, there you are. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> if anyone else wants to hear Liam make more lists, just let us know. <laughs> well, given the rounding success of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been any news this week? Um, nothing major, um, but one thing did sort of frustrate me a little bit was because when we were reviewing uh, Series 11, so Jodie Whittaker's uh, first series, we, like everyone else, is basically commenting on that uh, the companion Yaz has been massively underutilised, but I think we did notice that the few moments when it's just her and the Doctor... Um, you know, there's something really special. There's a, there's a spark there, and I haven't mentioned it in the podcast before, but it had crossed my mind with the, with a couple of moments that maybe the series would see a romantic development between those two characters. And I very very subtly re- hinted at that. Uh, I've forgotten which story it was we we're reviewing, but I basically said I think we'll see their relationship develop. But I didn't specifically say I think it'll you know we'll see a romantic relationship. I wish I had because it's come out recently that that may be a possibility that we see in series twelve. And just frustrated from my point of view because I could I could have just point see I called it. Uh, for, <laughs> so it's only frustrating for bragging rights more than anything. Um, it, it's still up in the air that whether that will happen or not. It's sort of just hearing rumors at the minute. But if if that were to happen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, are you aware of any news? Um, oh, the bits and pieces on Twitter about um, Mission to the Unknown. Oh, yes. How on earth did I forget about that? Yes. <laughs> and that's... The, the lost prelude to the Daleks Master Plan, mm-hmm. which was an episode of Doctor Who which didn't feature any of the main cast and that has been remade by um, students mm-hmm. completely 
and it was Peter Purvis on Twitter who started posting the photos. And I'm just looking now, and um, Nick Briggs has started posting some as well. Yeah, yeah, because he actually did the voice of the uh, the Daleks, so they even got um, Nick Briggs involved. Yeah, that, that, that's quite a nice um, surprise, and I think it's an interesting exercise. And I would, I would like to see the finished product because not only were they re- remaking it, but they were they they went out their way to make it as the original production would have. So they followed the same um, designs throughout, and it's been a multi-camera setup. Yeah. I wonder if that'll get a physical release. It's possible. Uh, I doubt it. Or it may be included as a special feature. Or maybe they've discovered the Daleks master plan and they'll just release it alongside that. Yeah, that'll be it. Oh, can you imagine? That'll be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, that'd be amazing if they did that. I'm sure they're going to um, present this in 4 by 3 black and white in mono mm-hmm. um, would you like it if they released it in both versions though full colour widescreen 4k yeah I think so just because um, from what I understand they, they followed the original production as much as possible so I think it would just be interesting to see uh, it would be a shame if we didn't see it in full full colour yeah yeah but obviously the whole purpose of it is to, is to see how it would have been originally broadcast back in 1965 I think it was yeah interesting mm. and it's quite nice because uh, it received a lot of news coverage as well and um, I came across um, a tweet I forgot who it was by but they included the full uh, BBC Northwest coverage of it um, the full news report and that was quite nice so they had the original uh, Doctor Who title sequence in the background and they actually broadcast that section of the news in black and white all right, <laughs> which I thought was a nice touch, and all the students involved were were clearly very passionate about you know just being involved in making something as as unique and as interesting as this, and everyone everyone seems to be clearly very uh, talented as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see the the overall result, and from and it was nice that they got Peter Purvis involved. I don't know in what capacity though. Uh, maybe just as a consultant. Uh, possibly, yeah, that makes sense. And then, the, and then to have yeah. Nick Brig, uh, Nicholas Briggs come along, uh, who does the Dalek voice uh, voices in the TV series, uh, to yeah. actually do the Dalek voice for this was was nice. So it's possible that um, we could get more things like this. I think this is a quite a unique piece with regards to not having any of the main cast in. Yes, because what ended up happening was when they were filming the second series of Doctor Who. Uh, went with uh, Planet of Giants um, what they ended up doing because that story was originally four episodes long but mm-hmm. for whatever reason maybe with issues with the pace <clears throat> they edited they edited the last two episodes down into one so it was it, the Planet of Giants ended up having three episodes as opposed to four so what that meant was the, the series as a whole was owed an episode so when it came into the third series, they had all the, the stories scheduled and everything. But there was one episode missing. So what they decided to do was basically use it as a, as you said, as a, as a prelude to the Daleks master plan. Yeah. Um, but So what they had was they had Mission to the Unknown, which is this episode. Then the Mythmakers, uh, which saw uh, Vicky leave. Uh, and then you ha- uh, and then introduced uh, a new companion. Um, 
forgotten the name of her now. Cassandra? I think that's wrong. Anyway, introduced a new companion uh, who was then brought into the, the following story, which is Dalek's master plan. And I think uh, mm. Mission to the Unknown, in this sense, is, is is probably really good for for remaking for that very reason. It didn't have any. The, it didn't have the TARDIS crew. It had the, yeah. it had the Daleks and a whole host of original characters. And of course, they could make more, for example, with David Bradley. But that would be something else entirely, wouldn't it? This is more of a a reenactment, like a reconstruction. Um. But if they did it with David Bradley, he's got um, quite a performance of his own now, hasn't he? Yeah, and I think um, I think if you're to inv- involve David Bradley, you've already probably upped the um, the production costs. I mean, it may be the yes. case that he could offer his services at a, at a discount or even for free. But then, because he's you know a working actor, he'd only be available for a short space of time. But yeah, I'd be really interested to see this because um, I have listened to the Dogs Master Plan and Mission to the Unknown, the the audio of it, and just listen to the audio. There's there's some um, clips available from it, um, which were found. So we can have a few scenes from Mission to the Unknown as from the actual original episode. But it's really really creepy. Um, You've got these. uh, You've You've got people who transmogrify into these fungus-like plants, and so there's this idea of body horror. And oh, yeah. um, it contains... It has this, this... You're focusing on this one character who's trying to warn the entire universe about the Daleks' plan. Um, but as, as probably isn't a surprise, he gets he gets exterminated. He gets killed by a, by a Dalek. And the Dalek doesn't even say anything. Um, he just encounters the Dalek, and the Dalek just kills him and then glides off. I think, you know, that sounds really affecting and quite scary as well. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how it all turns out. Yeah, maybe that's something we can consider revisiting. Mm. Yeah. So recently we did a couple of little polls on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was, which is your favourite charity special of the 90s? Yeah. Um, Dimensions in Time or Curse of Fatal Death, which we talked about recently yeah yeah and uh, we had 78 votes and it was it was close it was 58 percent in favor of the curse of fatal death and 42 dimensions in time wow dimensions in time gets a lot higher percentage yeah were people taking this seriously uh <laughs> were people taking the rick i mean in all fairness probably because as we said there i mean Dimensions in time is absolute nonsense, but it is enjoyable. Things seem better than the than they were um, further down the line. You know, like memory gets distorted. You know, when you haven't seen something in a while, and you think, "Oh, that was good." Does the memory cheat, Robert? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe people consider Dimensions more of a legitimate Doctor Who story because it's got the main cast in. Yeah, but, true. but anyway, curse, curse one. So. That's that's the main. That's thing. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I also asked a very simple question: Which Doctor Who book range are you most passionate about? Mm-hmm. We had Target books, Virgin, New Adventures, and Mission Adventures, the BBC Past and Eighth Doctor range, and BBC New Series books. And mm-hmm. um, I thought it would be overwhelming 
um, in favour of the Virgin books. All right. How did you, how did you, how did you think that would go? Uh, remind me of the results. Well, the results were fifty percent in favour of Target books, mm-hmm. and it was shared equal more or less between the others. Eighteen percent for Virgin and BBC new series. 14% for BBC Past and 8th. Ah, oh, that is interesting. So, Target Books trumped the lot. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, I mean, if you really want to go into that, I suppose it'd be interesting to see what the, the age range was for people who voted in a particular way. Uh, I do think there's a lot of nostalgia for the Target Books, but having said that, though, from from the few that I've actually read, they were well, well written, and for a long, long time, they were the only way to enjoy you know, um, previous adventures prior to the home entertainment market taking off. That's right, yeah. Um, but they still have uh, validity regardless of that. Because uh, there's. Um, so, for example, when we were reviewing The, the Three Doctors, because one of the things I did was I looked at the, the original Target novelization for that, and they are. They are retelling the story, but Terence Dix, who wrote that, he's using the medium of literature to to put in, you know, new ideas. So they have they have validity in of themselves. So yeah. they they are the you know they are nice little reads. Um, but yeah, I thought that I would have thought that the Virgin New Adventures, for example, would have got um, more votes than it did. Maybe that's just symptomatic of our point of view. Like you said, Target Books were probably more mainstream mm-hmm. at the time and the Virgin and BBC books were kind of falling into the wilderness years a little bit so they would have um, been favoured more by the fans yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And again, I haven't read all the Virgin New Adventures but I have, I think I've read about half of them. Um, and they in themselves are interesting because they're, they're continuing series on telling original stories but for for a much mature audience sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um sometimes it 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 does become a bit a bit unpleasurable to read i remember that there's some which i absolutely found painful because there's this i mean at some point we may even look at the virgin new adventures uh which i wouldn't mind doing and then get to finish reading all of them but one thing that I wasn't particularly keen on was they end up making the relationship between for for a, for a number of the novels uh, between the Doctor, uh, Bernice Summerfield and Ace very unpleasant. There's a lot of arguing, and it's really? and it saps the fun out of it. As soon as they deal with that um, in a novel called No Future, uh, as soon as they deal with that, the novels that follow immediately after that, so there's no arguing. They're so delightful and really imaginative. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a bit interesting. But one of the good the good things about it was they never played it safe. Would you say the um, the book range at that time reflected the fact that the fandom had matured at this point? Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's ones where there's there's constant swearing. I mean, because I, I remember when I got into Doctor Who, because I've always been a very keen reader from a very young age, and I thought, oh, fantastic! There's um, 
there's new Doctor Who stories in, in, in book form. You know, it's something I got really interested, uh, excited by. But I knew from the beginning that they were for a much more mature audience. Mm. And I remember finding that, I remember, um, but I would always be interested in them. So being a kid going into Forbidden Planet and then seeing the books, I remember um, flicking through one and coming across a couple of swear words. I wasn't shocked, but it was like, mm, right, okay, this is Doctor Who, but not as I know it. Doesn't quite feel well, feel right. No, no, it doesn't. Um, I had that feeling when I first ever watched the first episode of Torchwood, mm. and someone swears in the opening scene. I thought this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit funny with Torchwood because you've got a um, you've got a spin-off of Doctor Who, which is for a much more mature audience, um, which then gets reference directly in Doctor Who itself I'm mm. not sure how I entirely feel about that but they do, the, in many respects they do the same thing that the, the Virgin New Adventures did which is right, we're doing this thing it's for a much more mature adult, so they do that thing where it's like right we can have um, sex and swear words and all the rest of it and actually it comes across as adolescent as a result when when it uh, actually recognises what it can do in a much more mature field, it does get much, much better. So in mm-hmm. terms of Torchwood, you, when you get um, Children of the Earth, yeah, that's much more mature, because but that's because it's, it's, it's a very good idea. It's strong drama and dark, but they've chucked away all that ridiculous adolescent stuff that you have in, like, like Cyberwoman, I suppose, is a good idea, but it, it, the execution of it's a bit pants. Mm-hmm. And, when, and when you compare that to Children of Earth and Miracle Day, uh, in, in many respects, it does feel like a completely different series. Yeah, and wasn't the Chibnall's episode about the sex gas? I felt like that was a kind of a more adult theme that was thrown in, mm. just um, just because it was an adult show. Yeah, yeah, and it just... And you kind of see, looking back on the Virgin New Adventures, they follow kind of the same trajectory of that. Oh, right, okay, we can we can be more adults, so we can have you know naked people convorting. We can have um, Bernice have sex with the Ice Warrior. I'm not joking; that does happen in one of them. Right. Um, you know all that, and then once you can, right, okay, this is being a bit daft, and now we we can tell interesting, more mature stories. It, it, it works much better as a as a result. That's good. I do think it's a shame with regards to Torchwood because initially, yes, you can watch Doctor Who, but you don't rely on watching Torchwood. But then we've got um, the stolen oh stolen sorry. Then we've got like the stolen Earth Journey's End, mm-hmm. and we're bringing these elements from Sarah Jane in and Torchwood in the same episode. And kids are going to be compelled to want to watch this stuff, aren't they? Yeah, I think uh, I would have thought so. So, yeah, it, it is a bit of a funny one because uh, mm. I quite I quite like Torchwood, but at the same time, I don't know whether um, I don't know whether having it as a spin-off of Doctor Who should have been the case, or rather than just being its its, its totally own thing. But anyway, it is what it is. So, what on to our main? subject today which is phantasmagoria yep william as in william and mary right so they did teach you something at brendan then i liked history well now you can watch it happen 
It's the 8th of March, 1702. My name is Nicholas Valentine. I prithee pardon, gentlemen, but I must make free with your purses. Till next we meet. Good night, gentlemen. It has been a pleasure. Ha! A pleasure for you to be robbed by Major Billy Lovemore! If we had time, you and I could sit by the fire and natter on about mapping exterior continuums onto interior dimensions and so on and so forth. But we don't have time. Regrettably, no. However, for the sake of established history, that's probably no bad thing. There have been developments. Our client reports there is something odd going on in the vicinity. Disappearances. Then last night, something more. In the name of Christ, help me! What is it? What ails you? I don't know, sir. They're coming! They're coming for me! We shall play another game, you and I. I'm afraid the rules are of my own making. <laughs> it is the second in the monthly range, as we, st- as we said earlier on. Mm-hmm. It's the first standalone story to feature the Fifth Doctor. Yeah. So we're in this cycle now of going through the three Doctors alternating month by month. Um, but of course it features um, The Return of Turlough mm-hmm. and it was written by Mark Gatiss yes yeah it was written a lot of the new series episodes from The Unquiet Dead all the way through to Twice Upon a Time mm-hmm. and he's cropped up in the show a few times since then as well mm-hmm. um, and I didn't realise but it also features David Walliams oh did you not recognise his voice no, no, I did, but I didn't... Uh, the last time I listened to this was probably a good 10 or 15 years ago, so I didn't know at the time. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, okay. And before I re-listened to it recently, obviously I looked who who was in it, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, David Williams, and as I was listening to the story, I got a bit confused, because I should maybe I should have been paying more attention to the names, but he plays two characters in the story... Yes, Quincy Flowers and Ned Cotton. Yeah, and maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I thought Ned Cotton was Flowers at one point, and I was getting so confused. Well, that's one of the things. Um, I was going to mention this later, but because you brought it up now, it's just that this is one of the this is probably the one criticism that I have of the story because I think Mark Gatiss comes along and actually. You're right, his involvement with the new series, but just because we mentioned them before, he'd also written a few of uh, the Virgin New Adventures as well. Um, yeah. So he's written the story, and I think it's a, it's a very good story, does a very good job, and he plays um, uh, Jasper Jeek uh, and plays that part very well. So all the voice actors are really good, and David uh, Williams comes along and plays Quincy Flowers, and he plays it really, really well. But as you say, he also plays um, the drunk watchman, Ned Cotton. Yeah. And they sound exactly the same. Yeah. In fact, you'd think you'd you'd have to contrast the two and try and um, find the differences. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, it's the other way around. You're looking for the differences between them. Yeah. So when I was uh, so when I was listening to it, and uh, th- that was one thing that you know I cottoned on to quite quite quickly is just going oh these are two characters but they sound exactly the same that's a bit poor but then I got a bit confused and went oh maybe I've missed something maybe they're supposed to be the same people mm. um, 
but but they're not. Uh, they are completely uh, different characters. But yeah, that that is the one criticism that I have for Phantasmagoria, which which is that um, I think David Williams playing Quincy Flowers is great, and he really relishes the role, and it's tremendous fun listening to him play that part. Yeah. But because you can tell it's him also performing Ned Cotton, <laughs> it is a bit of a shame. Yeah. I mean, you quite frequently have um, have it say like other parts are played by members of the cast, but it's hard to find out which ones they're actually playing. But yeah, in this instance, it did kind of it left me confused. Yeah, so <laughs> initially, for, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you got Jez Fielder and he plays uh, he plays three parts. He plays uh, Paul Trot, Major Billy yes. Lovemore, and the librarian. Now I only know that because of reading the credits, listening to it, didn't have a clue. No, neither does I. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's been released on double cassette, double key, double CD, and download, mm-hmm. just like the rest of the initial monthly ranges. Mm-hmm. And the download is the only version available now. And you, you, you've only got the download, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got the CD um, quite a while ago. So, uh, did you bu- did you buy it when it originally came out? No, it would have been if a couple of years afterwards. I mean, at the time, the Big Finish range probably only had about I don't know, maybe seventy or eighty odd releases in it. Um, so I don't know when that would have been, <laughs> but yes, uh, that's when I started buying this the subscriptions ah right okay yeah, the first few yeah and when you bought it were you were you were you purchasing them in order and listing them in in order or was it just whatever took your fancy or oh, fancy doesn't have a fifth doctor so i'll buy one or an eighth or whatever well i'd started buying the eighth doctors initially mm-hmm. and i didn't know where to begin with the other doctors so that's when i just started i bought the bundle of the first 12 and just went on from there. So the story starts in London, 1702. Yeah. On the 8th of March. And Big Finish has got a box set coming out soon called the 8th of March. Because it's International Women's Day. Oh yes, I forgot about that. Isn't isn't that the box set which um its stories featuring um yeah. Some of the sort of like just focusing on major uh, female characters within the show. That's right. Yeah, it's got Ace, Bernice, River, um, Kate, and Osgood. Yeah, it seems a, uh, seems a good excuse to use those characters and release some interesting stories. Hopefully. Yeah. So the story kicks off. There's a man running. He's being pursued. Um, it's hard to visualise what's going on at this stage, isn't it? It is, yeah, and if you forgive the phrase, but I think it's very good that the story hits the ground running. See what I did there? <laughs> I've heard all the listeners do a mass squirm with that one. Anyway, fair enough. Um, no, it, you know, it, it starts off straight away, and it's it's sort of it, uh, it's very it gets you gripped from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was a very good, um, very good way to start the story, and from that moment on, I went right, okay. This is interesting. I'm feeling. You're right. It, at that point, it's difficult to visualize, bar the fact that it's just a man running from some something unseen. Um, mm. So you can't really visualize visualize it. But you know that right. Okay, this man's running from something, and the man is absolutely petrified. And I thought, right. Okay, this. this I think that I'm going to like this story. 
um, already from the begin from the beginning, there's a, there's a confidence with with the story. The Sirens of Time, I think, was a good solid way to kickstart the series. But the f the first few mo opening moments of Phant Phantasmagoria feels like a massive uh, step up. Mm -hmm. uh, because as you see, you know, we we have this scene. It, it kickstarts things off in a very strong, dramatic way, and then. If I'm if I've got the the audio of the story right, we then go. Do we then immediately go back into the TARDIS? Well, not quite. Um, the man's running in the street, and then we've got the scene in the the is it the Diabola Club? Oh yes, that's right. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah. With Flower and and Car um, Yes. Yeah. Um, and they're talking, and then. Valentine and Paul Trot are playing cards, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then we go to the scene in the TARDIS, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so th there's, there's a lot going on within those few moments. You know, we've got a man who's running, he's absolutely petrified. We we have we have the setting of the early 18th century um, pretty much nailed. You know, they're in, they're in a gentleman's club, cards are being played, there's gambling. We've got these larger-than-life characters. Um... You know, so you've basically got the the threat and the world that the main story is going to be uh, set in, set up pretty much from the off in a really gripping and engaging way, and then mm. and then we go into the TARDIS, and we've got the Fifth Doctor talking to Turlow, and he's been teaching him the rules of cricket, which I thought was a really nice scene, very funny, um, and unbeknownst to this at the time, this actually sows the seeds of how the Doctor resolves everything in the very last episode that's right yeah um so th there's 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 an awful lot going on but in a in a way that that flows very well mark uh, mark gatis is as, as we know a very very good writer and this this showcases it very very well i think i read somewhere that he kind of put a lot of research in and perhaps overwrote this episode with a lot of um kind of period dialogue and slang thrown in there well that's the thing I got, I got the impression that this that this was written with a with a lot of research and knowledge of the period but it doesn't to me it doesn't feel crammed and stuffed with it yeah T to me this this flows very well and it got me thinking that there's something about the 18th century which i think is very very good for historical stories i think arguably it's the earliest point in history which um societally speaking we probably understand you know we got this aspect of um of gentlemen's clubs and theatres and with the exception of shakespeare and um the canterbury tales a, a lot a lot of our earliest literature that people enjoy to this day tends to come from the 18th century you know we get the birth of the novel that comes in this period and so on mm -hmm. um there's something about the 18th century that lends itself very well to atmospheric um, drama, because you can pretty much do everything. You've got, uh, in this sense, you know, you've got that. You've got the gambling aspect of the story. You've got the larger-than-life uh, characters, particularly the one that Mark Gatiss plays himself. Um, very theatrical, but in a really, really delightful way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's something about the period which I think lends itself very well, and Mark Gatiss has really tapped into that. And yeah, he's done a lot of research, but it doesn't harm the story. In fact, it adds 
to the flavour of everything. And it doesn't feel, as I said before, it doesn't feel like it's stuffed too much with 18th century uh, intricacies. It just sets the world up and I think it flows very well. But yeah, I like the, um, I like the whole idea of them introducing cricket into it because it, it's such a subtle device that they use that mm-hmm. kind of resolves the whole thing at the end. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing as well. So, you you know, you got this idea of um, Chekhov's smoking gun, which a lot of stories use, and it's, it's, it's a very basic but very important setup for stories where you have something which, cle- uh, which will resolve the situation that they're in. Sometimes it can be absolutely glaringly obvious. So, for example, when we were looking at um, the New Year's special resolution, very good story, we really enjoyed it. But I think the whole thing to do with the microwave was was flagged up in such an obvious way. You knew that that was going to be used to defeat the Dalek in some way. Not that that was not that that was a bad thing. Um, I'm just showing I'm just showing how that that is a that's an obvious way to flag something. Yes. But it, it can still. But it's not bad. It you know it it just flagged up and it revolt uh, resolves everything in a very neat neat way. That's fine. With something like this, it's very much the same thing, but it, it sets it up. But it's 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 much more subtle, mm-hmm. so it's it's there. You remember it because the scene that's introduced is very memorable and funny, and at the very beginning of the story. So and it had a purpose. And it had whether a, it, yeah, whether it was revisited or later or not, it did fit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it it introduces the characters in a witty way. It sort of introduces the two characters, the Doctor and Turlo, and their relationship. Mm. So it, it it functions on that level. Yeah, you're really yeah you're right. It, it it works on there. So even if the almanac, um, which is the book that the, the doctor's uh, quoting from to explain the rules of cricket, even if that didn't, even if that wasn't used as a resolution to the story, the scene itself, as is written, uh, works perfectly for the, for those yeah. reasons with it, in terms of the characters. Totally. Can you imagine if Ryan's dad hadn't brought the microwave on the TARDIS? Everyone would have looked back at that scene in the cafe thinking, what the hell was that all about? Well, <laughs> I suppose, again, I suppose you could say, well, it shows that, you know, he's uh, he's in between jobs and struggling. So he's, <laughs> he's sort of like being, he's in a Del Boy situation where he's trying to flog any old thing to make some money. <laughs> but the, yeah, if it was, if it was written... If it wasn't used as there and it was presented as it is as it is currently, yeah, it would be. It was, why are they making such a big deal about it? It's so weird. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, now it's just that um, that Wi-Fi scene that gets all the hate. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the patronising Wi-Fi scene. Well, had that over opening titles. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Carter is is he playing with um, Valentine? I think that's right. Yes, yes, that's right. And Nicholas Valentine says he was in service to the king at some point, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting. But I know I'm jumping ahead here, but later on he reveals that he was kind of putting the feelers out, trying to find good, great minds um, to repair his ship. So he was kind of making contacts. Yeah, that's right, and I think that's uh, it's it's not flagged up in a major way, but it is one of those details which is interesting. So it makes sense that uh, if he's in that period and he's trying to find the greatest minds, that he's infiltrated the highest court in the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but because of the the changeover because of the of the death of the king and now we've got a new queen as we've got a new monarch in queen anne um obviously there's going to be ch changes in court so hence the reasons why he's probably resorting to um infiltrating this gentleman's club yeah um so i think then we go back to holywell's place mm -hmm. um and the tardis arrives and obviously they're look, looking around they can tell what period the house is from but they don't know when they are and of course, they pick up the paper and they realise it's the 8th of March, 1702. Mm -hmm. So the doctor meets Hollywell mm -hmm. in his house and he kind of evades his, um, his questioning about the TARDIS and everything by um, showing interest in his antiques, which is kind of cool. And then Turtle, leaves, Turtle feels left out by the doctor and left behind. Yeah. Um, and then Turlo finds some kind of art articles on um, spiritual stuff, mm -hmm. which seems a bit curious at the time. Holywell is um, quite a good character, do you think? Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, there's that initial mystery of, is he all that he appears to be? But actually he is, and he's just a, an actually decent, nice chap. And for the uh, for the large part of the story, the Doctor and Turlo are separated, Uh Dr. Hollywell is effectively the companion for this story and I think works really well. Um, there's something about the fifth Doctor um, and his relationship with older characters which, or something more mature characters, works. Um, we see that actually in the televised series, you know, with his relationship with certain characters that we see in Kinder and The Awakening. Uh, so in some respects, it's a bit of a shame that Peter Davison's Doctor doesn't have that opportunity as much as he did in the TV series but here it works really well yeah oh and then we get this um, alien communication mm -hmm. um, and as we'll later find out obviously Hannah's trying to track down Nicholas Valentine um, but these are kind of intimately spliced into the story aren't they these little, um, little communication bursts yes yeah yeah um, then we've got Flowers and Jasper Jake's character that are robbed by the High Women, um, Major Billy Lovemore. And I think having these two characters together is a really cool dynamic. Yeah, that's right. In fact, I think whenever um, we have a character re relate, particularly to J uh, Jasper, I mean, later on when we have, um, when we have Turlough and Jasper, uh, they seem to get on really well, and that's quite nice. And uh, as I said before, Mark is clearly relishing the role he's written, but he plays it very, mm. very well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a good performance. It stands out to what he's done before as well. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the point with Ned Cotton, <laughs> which is the point that really confused me. Yeah, yeah. The scene with Hannah. Um, and it also had me wondering, could... Hannah have defended herself at the time yes given what we later find out about her character uh, yeah th that that did make me think um, maybe she was waiting maybe she was only going to uh, defend herself to the point where clearly there was no way out of that situation yeah um, but yeah that, that did that did raise questions for me as well going uh, Going what we later know about um, about Hannah, mm. that 
Yeah, maybe she could have defended herself. Um, but obviously, Turlo comes to her rescue. He's a bit reluctant too. Yeah, I think because Turlo's Turlo was probably one of the most interesting companions that the, uh, that's ever been given to the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, because when he was introduced in the TV series, he was introduced as someone who initially uh, was initially trying to kill him. And in his first three stories, there's a bit of a character development. And the Doctor sort of knows there's something up with Turlo, but the big thing is, um, with very little guidance, but he knows that there's a. He's not entirely bad, you know. That he's not beyond redemption. So there's no. al- there was always that bit of bit of play here, and. Um, so yes, he is a bit reluctant, but he does he's he does step in to, to help Hannah. But as soon as, yeah. but as soon as um, the situation gets even more confusing, even more dangerous, the, his first reaction is is to run off. Which so mm. in the very final episode when he sticks around uh, to help the Doctor, um, it uh, it feels it feels even more triumphant and a, a big deal for his character and again it's it sort of because of the the element of cricket the fact he goes i'm staying because me running off well it wouldn't really be cricket would it um there's a there's a nice it, it's written well and there's a bit of a payoff with the line that's delivered mm-hmm. yeah that's good nice little character arc mm-hmm. going on yeah yeah and of course um ned cotton calls him um he says oh what's this a beardless boy coming to your rescue <laughs> Yeah. And of course, after this, we've got Carter found dead, mm-hmm. and the Doctor takes his card and puts it in the almanac. Yeah. And then later on, Tullo wakes up with um, Jasper and Flowers, and they're having coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this is this little um, team up starting to happen. Mm-hmm. In fact, because one of the things that I like about uh, the story as well. Is that there is that there is that bit of an interplay between is there something supernatural going on or is there something a bit more scientific? Obviously, being with the Doctor, we, we recognise that uh, it's going to go down more the scientific route. But there is that bit of a play, um, and there is that sort of in some respects uh, the villain, Sir Nicholas Valentine. He is, if this was to be the, a more supernatural story, he is basically sort of playing the devil. You know, he's getting people to gamble and gamble in the the biggest stake of their the biggest stake ever which is their gambling with their lives um so so again there's this element are yes it's alien threat but it very much plays in with um sort of the superstitions of the period that the story is set in yeah yeah so perhaps they could have put a bit bit of emphasis on the fact that people are going to this gentleman's club and um Perhaps are are sinning in a way, mm-hmm. and and he's um and he's judging them on that. Yeah, and because there's the whole thing of you know, the, the it seems to be that are they being chased uh, by invisible demons and uh, and all the rest of it. Um, having said that, though, it's it's kind of interesting that when we do find out the truth, in many ways, it it, it comes across as even more horrific. Um, I don't know how it, how it played out for you, but when we're in um, Valentine's lair or effectively spaceship, his home, the, the the mental imagery that was conjured up 
with me with with the story and and the audio effects was actually something really quite disturbing because you've got all these people who are being chained up and their life essences are, are being drained away mm-hmm. it, it, you know th- th- it came across as quite dark and of course um in that scene when they when they're in his lair mm-hmm. um, Jasper Jake says that I, re- I should recommend him to my um my decorator <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah Oh, and then we get to the scene with Major Billy Lovemore shooting Ned Cotton, which obviously didn't make sense at the time. No, no, it didn't. That was something that felt um, that came com- felt completely out of the blue. And in fact, we get this uh, this highwayman, Major Billy Lovemore, introduced, and it's sort of like, why on earth is he introducing his real name? That's really odd. But um, mm. and and for a little while. That, that character doesn't seem to be uh, tied majorly into the plot. Oh, jeez, I think I've done another unintentional pun. But anyway, um, <laughs> he doesn't seem to be that uh, involved in the plot in a, in a particularly, um, oh, I can't avoid it, major way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't love this more, could you? <laughs> no, you couldn't. Um, <laughs> puns, we've got them. Um so, I've completely lost track of the point I was going to say now. Oh yeah, that was it. So, um, so he seems to be just sort of introduced, and then nothing really happens. It just seems to be a, a nice, just a nice moment. We've got this highwayman, and the reaction that um, uh, Quincy Fl- uh, Flowers has is, you know, being absolutely thrilled because you know he's sort of uh, a major celebrity of the time. Um, but then later on, he 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 is actually a much more interesting character. And in fact, because you got a really, there was a bit of a hint that um, in the third episode that Hannah seems to be, seems to know a lot more than she's letting on. But I think Mm -hmm. it's a really nice uh, cliffhanger to the third episode when we actually find out that major Billy Lovemore is actually an alien who's disguised. Um, but is also, but is also the uh, Billy Lovemore and Hannah Fry are one and the same person. Yeah, that was a bit of a shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, it does make sense why he's shot Ned Cotton. Mm-hmm. It's because Ned Cotton um, was coming after Hannah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so back at the club, um, Nicholas Valentine is starting to get interested in Poultra. Mm-hmm. He notices Valentine's gloves. Oh, and then of course Flowers turns up, doesn't he, and confront confronts Valentine. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then it gets interesting when we've got Holywell trying to find a connection with the victims. Mm-hmm. And of course, he goes to the library layer, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, and and then obviously we later establish that the, the one thing that connects them is that they're all they all attend this one club. Um, and then the, the, and then the anticipation of the doctor confronting uh, Sir Valentine, and the the conversation that they have, and then the doctor getting involved in a card game. Um, again, the, the, because what's happened to the story up until this point, it feels like the doctor getting involved. The stakes are quite high. You don't know because we don't fully know what's going on. We just know that there's this a potentially dangerous situation. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I think it's I think it's quite a nice touch that actually because the, there's a bit of a thing of why does Sir Valentine always wear gloves because I think mm-hmm. it's, it's only mentioned twice but enough to go oh, why is that the case but then because it turns out that the cards um, have a uh, was it a biological matrix or something so yeah. they they get the DNA of the, the of the card holder and then that then kickstarts the whole thing of them basically getting kidnapped in Sir Valentine's um, spaceship. Yeah. Um, I thought that 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 was again very nicely done. There's that sense of drama and the way that all these things are revealed is is in a very satisfying way. Yeah, and of course his gloves are just used to insulate mm. him and the cards. I was overthinking it when I first listened to it. I thought he had some kind of electronic gloves that he was programming the cards with. <laughs> Oh, right, okay. <laughs> oh, and then they find Ned Cotton dying. Mm-hmm. And he has a bit of a dramatic um, death cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that left me confused because I thought he was Flowers as well. Yeah, yeah. And again, uh, I suppose... I mean, that's a thing. If, if It is a bit of a problem with a, with an audio adventure when you've got the same actor playing two different parts, but there's, in terms of the, the voice acting, there's very little to differentiate between the two. Um, as I say, in terms of in terms of the acting uh, in this story, that's the only issue that I have. I've got no problems with uh, with David Williams being cast, and he plays Quincy Flowers, for example, very very well. It's just a shame that he, Ned Cotton sounds very much like David Williams as well. Um, <laughs> but that's the only sort of thing, the weak the, the weak point, because as I say, he plays Quincy Flowers very well, and everyone else. Um, you know, St- Stephen Wickham, who plays uh, Dr. Uh, Holywell, that's a very good performance. David Ryle as Sir Nicholas Valentine, that's a really good performance. And as I said before, uh, Jez Fielder plays Paul Trot, Major Billy Lovemore, and the librarian. Mm. Well, they all sound completely different, you know, so that's a really good performance. The only reason why I know he plays those parts is, as I said before, because I, you know, reading the credits. Um, Mark Gaitis playing Jasper is a, a fantastic performance. So everyone involved doing really, yeah. really uh, a good thing. Nicholas Briggs. If, is... all, if only one of those had played Ned. <laughs> oh well, Ned's dead now. So <laughs> yeah, we can move on from yeah, that. Yeah, Ned's dead. Yep. <laughs> so Jasper and Turlo see Flowers acting a bit odd because, of course, he's been in contact with the cards now, hasn't he? Yep. And then we get to the scene with the Doctor. Holywell and Hannah um, summoning the spirits mm-hmm. um, and he says like draw back the web of fear <laughs> <laughs> yeah I picked up on that as well but, um, <laughs> what draw back a Patrick Troutons what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> obviously that's not that's not the intention but I, I can't help it yeah. it's like that it's like um, have you ever uh, you know the John Pertwee story the monster repellent Yes. There's a bit when um, the doctor's talking to um, talking to one of the ice warriors, and he just goes, "Of course, I'm very keen on survival." So well, we're not the third <laughs> doctor's favorite seventh doctor story. So there you go. <laughs> so then, um, Jasper Jeek and Turlo follow Flowers. Mm-hmm. They lose him. Then they see him again. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's asking for their help, saying they're everywhere. There's voices in his head. Um, 
and he screams and he just vanishes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then we're brought back to the scene with the Doctor and Holywell. Mm-hmm. And they're hearing voices. And I was a bit confused about this scene. Were the voices coming from the Doctor? Just the way Hannah was speaking to him? Did they, did they just hear the voices? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, uh, I, for, there was a moment where I thought, oh, they're using the Doctor as like a conduit. No, I, funny enough, I had the same reaction, but I think it's... Um... But I think it's just voices that they're hearing. And then the doctor says it was radio signals. Mm-hmm. And he said, of course, if Turler was here, he would have known that. It was a bit strange. <laughs> strange description of voices. Yeah, yeah, because w- when, um, when, when the doctor said that, I was going, oh, is this um, going to be something to do with the tractators? Which is um, because there's a, in the Peter Davison story, Frontios... Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole thing that the Tractators are something that Turlough is aware of from his own past. Um, so yeah, when the Doctor first says, oh, that's a, that's a sound that Turlough would recognise. I can understand when it's revealed, it's just, oh, because it's just radio waves. <laughs> it, did seem, <laughs> it did seem a bit of a build-up. I mean, yeah, it makes sense because Turlough would be aware of radio waves and people of the 18th century wouldn't have been. Fine, I get that. But yeah, it did seem a bit of a strange way to to inform that they but were... But we, we wouldn't have came to that conclusion. If we'd saw ghosts, we wouldn't say, huh, just radio waves. <laughs> radio waves. He hears radio waves. Not really an explanation. No, but I mean, they're not, they're not seeing ghosts. No, no, yes. But, they, well, they did manifest themselves later on, didn't they? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Flowers wakes up on Valentine's ship or his flat his lair I thought you were going to say Valentine's Day yes yeah yeah <laughs> whatever we'll call it and then the doctor wakes up and then he sends off Holywell to the library to do some research mm-hmm. and he teams up with Hannah um, and it's probably not the case but I was wondering does he sense anything at this stage about Hannah he may do. Uh, I mean, that was the impression that I took. But as you said, it's, it, if that is the case, it's not flagged up in a major way. It may just be to bring someone along. I mean, it makes sense yeah. because if you take her at face value, she should be someone who knows the area and be able to point them in the right direction. Um, yeah. But then also, if you if you take it that he's he's picked up on something, it makes sense for him to, t- to yeah. take her along. So I think it's one of those things where it's up to the individual listener. Yeah. And of course, he, he's always... Throwing girls in the face of danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> so this is nothing new. No. Um, Turlough's off with Jasper. They're having something to eat. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And Jasper has found out that Carter is dead. And Ned's dead. He's been shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and back on board the ship, Valentine's integrating flowers into his ship. And it was flat. And it was Leia. Yeah, the character Flowers, yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's lots of other people obviously being used there because Flowers can see what's going on or hear screaming rather. Mm. And then Holywell's at the library looking up the missing people over the past 30 years. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is one thing I didn't get. It says they've been going missing regularly for the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. 
but then later on in the story the doctor implies that this has been happening every 30 years yes that's I was true. wondering if I'd missed something no no it uh, if you have then I've missed it as well um yeah because I picked up on that because yeah because initially I was under the impression oh, this has been going on for 30 years but then the way that the, the doctor explains it, it does sound like it happens every 30 years um which doesn't make sense but yeah mm. I picked up on that as well so if 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 we have missed on if we both missed on something um it could have been something that just got lost in the writing process yeah possibly because I think it makes much more sense that this has been going on for 30 years rather than it pops up every 30 years that that wouldn't make any sense yeah oh and Lovemore's now wanted for murder mm-hmm. because Ned's dead <laughs> you just love saying that because it rhymes don't you <laughs> yeah 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 Ned's dead yeah or was it? Or was it? Or was it a vague Pulp Fiction reference? You know, I might be wrong. I'm sure there was a, an Irish movie a long time ago, maybe mid '90s or something, called Ned's Dead. And I'm sure it was about um, some guy called Ned wins the lottery and dies with a ticket in his hand, and the whole town pretends to be him so they can win the money. Ah, oh, I vaguely remember that. I mean, the Pulp Fiction thing it's Ned's dead anyway, but. Yes, I, 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 yes, I remember that movie. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, remember who's in it, but I certainly remember the plot. Yeah, it's just come back to us now. I wasn't dropping a reference to that <laughs> this whole time. But yeah, I remember that movie now that you me- now that you mention yeah. it. Ned's dead, blimey! <laughs> <laughs> How obscure. Oh, and Jasper Jeek points out that at this stage that he figures out. A lot of the victims are from the club, mm-hmm. and the doctors. <laughs> I like when uh, the doctor said, "It's obviously a broad church," and he says, "No, it's a tall, narrow building." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved that as well. That did make me chuckle. I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, everyone splits up. But a minute later, they meet up again because Hannah and Taylor go off to get Holy Well. And then they all converge on the the club about a minute later in the story. (laughs) So when they're at the club, they see Nicholas Valentine playing cards with Poltrack. But the doctor butts in. Yeah. And and Jasper Jeek's like, Poltrack, you lazy dog. Is is it not your night off? Yeah. (laughs) And just he gets sent away. Yeah. Um, and this is a nice scene when the Doctor faces off with Nicholas Valentine because obviously they don't know who each other is mm-hmm. or are rather sorry <laughs> um, they don't they don't know each other mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's but there's clearly some recognition here like Valentine's obviously aware that the Doctor has the type of intellect that he's looking for. Yes, yeah, yeah. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Doctor suspects Valentine. Mm-hmm. So Nicholas Valentine says that patience is his game mm-hmm. because he's been very patient um, while well, he's been rebuilding his ship as well, hasn't he? Yeah, so we're not the only one with puns. He's got them as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. 
I mean, because there are a few moments when um, uh, we hear Sir, Sir Nicholas Valentine laughing his head off uh, in the way that these sort of overly dramatic villains do. But mm. in some respects, it's a bit of a shame that in this scene, you know, we don't have a something, I'm very good at patience. <laughs> and then the doctor's going, what's so funny? I don't get the joke. <laughs> you will later when all is revealed. <laughs> anyway, no. Anyway. <laughs> Let's move on. Sorry I'm late, Mr. Needful. This is my grandpa, Rick. He was just leaving. Huh. Tell me, Rick, what do you desire? Eh, I make my own stuff. So what are you, like, the devil? What? Sorry? I don't know. Store comes out of nowhere. All the shit's old and creepy. Are you the devil? A demon? Leprechaun? Grandpa Rick! Hey, I'm not judging. Just like to shoot straight. I'm a man of science. Ah, then perhaps you could make use of this. This microscope reveals things beyond comprehension. <laughs> go home and drink oh yes Jasper Jeek interrogates Paul Tratt mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. asking him about Nicholas Valentine how long he's been there and then Turlo and Jeek follow Valentine after this don't they Yeah. go back to his lair and then probably the best part is the alien conference. Oh, sorry, is the alien communication with Hannah, mm-hmm. and it's this big oh my god moment when <laughs> we find out she was. It's Lovemore speaking. Sorry, and we find out that he's also Hannah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I thought that was that was a that was a nice. Um little twist i think at that point in in the story we we realized that something was going to re- be revealed about hannah because there was a few um hints at that point that um she knew more than she was letting on but th- mm-hmm. yeah that, that was a nice reveal and a very good cliffhanger to the third episode mm-hmm, totally this is where nicholas valentine openly says that he wants the doctor for his ship mm-hmm. and he destroys this beacon and there's circuitry in the card but of course he's had another card that he's been keeping in the almanac and he wipes it and puts it back. Yeah, so that um so I thought that was really nicely handled. These the because as we said before, the whole thing to do with the almanac in the in the first see uh, in the uh, in the first episode um plays into it and how the doctors worked out what the the deal is with the cards. So it's one of those ah, so that's how they get out of it. But it uh, so you don't know how it's going to play out. But when it does, it, it feels very satisfying, and it's it's it, 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 it's all been um, it's been very well written to to get to this point. So yeah, it, it feels like a very satisfying conclusion. Yeah, totally. And then Hannah returns, mm-hmm. and the Doctor obviously notices she's wearing Lovemore's boots. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like. In this situation, it in this part of the story, this could have dragged on a little bit longer because it's quite sinister the fact that she's not um, who she who they thought she was, mm-hmm. um, and they could have played on a bit bit of suspicion in this part of the story. Yeah, that's true. One of the things that I quite like about uh, Phantasmagoria is how it uses the structure of the classic series. So it's four 
um, half-hour episodes, as was the case during Peter Davison's period, and it feels very much of um, of that era. So mm-hmm. it feels like you could slot this in uh, between uh, Resurrection of the Daleks and Planet Fire, and it, 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 it fits. Mark Gatiss has written a very good story in of itself. You can really enjoy it as an audio adventure. Um, and given the amount of characters that die at the end of it, you'd go, ah, Eric Saywood would be proud. Um, but yeah, we, we, but with things like this, you, you do wonder if um, maybe, we, you know, because it is audio and it's it's not bound by those structures that the classic series was, maybe they could have written, uh, I'm not, I don't know two forty-five minute episodes, for example. So you could you could you could build on moments like this. I don't think mm. it's a massive detriment to the story, but as you say, it, there is potential. Uh, there is potentially more drama there and a bit more atmosphere to tap into. Totally, yeah. But as it turns out, um, she's not that bad after all. Mm-hmm. She wants revenge for the death of her pre- of her parents. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it turns out that Sir Nicholas Valentine isn't just responsible for for the murder of her parents, but is basically, um, well, it's essentially, he's a serial killer. Hello and Jeek finally get to the inside of Valentine's house. Mm-hmm. And this is the moment where they smell the rotten flesh. Um, and it's like the walls are like rotten meat, I think they say. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's and what of I'm... course, there's that line that Jeek puts in, like... Um, I must give Valentine the name of my decorator. Uh, yeah, which I think is a nice line, which um, I think alleviates the horror of the moment because it mm-hmm. is, you know, it is quite horrific, mm-hmm. and it is one of those things as well. It's um, because this is an audio adventure; the the imagination of the listener is allowed to run rampant, and especially with with moments like this, this can be as I mean, yeah, the imagery conjured up with with what's going on is 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 horrific. And then Hollywell and the Doctor arrive at the house. Tillo and Jeek are tied up, and they find Flowers still alive. Or is it Ned? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I think it's one of those things. It's up to the listener. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it seems, yeah, uh, Flowers. And then, uh, as you said before, this is when. Um, the Doctor uh, tricks Sir Nicholas Valentine to touch the card which he's hitting in the almanac. Um, so he's basically trapped by his own traps that he's been setting for all his uh, all his victims. So he's defeated. But uh, it results in the death of Hannah. So I think that was a pretty good story. It's hard to compare it, obviously, to Sirens of Time. Mm-hmm. But as we go through the monthly stories, we can... Um, have something to compare it to yeah that's true I think I think that's right I mean the the two stories are completely different beasts and in some respects I think they're doing entirely different things so the Sirens of Time is there to establish the Big Finish range it's got a multi-doctor story so it doesn't I, I suppose it introduces uh, the series without showing favouritism and then what Phantasmagoria is doing is that right okay now we can do um, individual stories for individual doctors and be as interesting exciting as possible and i think there is a massive um 
I think there's a massive leap in quality. So I think Sirens of Time is a good, solid story and is quite enjoyable, but I think Phantasmagoria, for me, is by far a much better story. Um, the confidence by everyone involved is absolutely amazing. Mark Edis has written a very, very good story. Um, I think, as, as, as we've, we've mentioned on a couple of times, um, I think in terms of the acting, the only issue is David Williams playing Ned Cotton. Yes, I mentioned it again. We're not letting him get away with it. Um, so the- it could it could be because we are over familiar with him. It would be interesting to see if we could distinguish between them if we didn't know him. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because compared to when this was originally released in October nineteen ninety nine, David Williams is a much more um, is much more famous. Um, because we're used to seeing him now. Um, putting on different personas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe it it is that sort of now that we're overly familiar with him, maybe it is. Mm-hmm. But then having, uh, but same thing where Mark Gatiss, we used to see him in so many different characters. Mm-hmm. So he's got a quite an identifiable voice as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah, perhaps we are being a bit uh, unkind. But... but they were very similar. Yeah, that's the thing that they were very. Uh... Because, I, I, I mean, it's, if you compare it to, I know I've used this example before, but if you compare it to Jess Fielder, who plays three different uh, three different characters, mm-hmm. um, but they all sound completely different. <clears throat> but yeah. anyway, you know, so I think that's the only the only weakness there in terms of the acting. Um, it did very well delivering so many characters. Yes. Um. um and of course, you've pointed out the weakness of possibly having a four-episode story because mm-hmm. it can limit the the amount of narrative you can tell in each individual story. Yes, I mean, as I said, it, it uh, it's trying to emulate the construction of the Peter Davison era, mm. um, and it it does that very well. Um, I don't feel that it was a massive detriment to the story. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like what you mentioned. There are one or two moments which, if they had a long, a longer running time, mm-hmm. um, it could have, you know, potentially been better. I mean, am am I right in thinking that later on down the line, that is what they do with the series? With the running time, yeah, specifically, with the monthly range, I'm not too sure presently, but no, it's typically four episodes at give or take 20 to 30 minutes Mm. but if you take the box sets for example let's look at the Paul McGann box sets they'll be hour long stories and it's uh, a big difference ah right okay yeah you can really get stuck into each episode Mm -hmm. quite well it's a big difference in fact yeah and the patience quite well because there's a lot crammed into this story isn't there Yes, there is. Um, but I mean, for me, it um, I think it flows quite well. But are you mm-hmm. are you saying that with the, with the longer stories, it uh, that's something else? Which the stories feel like they can breathe a bit more. Yes, exactly. Yeah, mm. I mean, a lot of that's probably down to the experience of writing stories at that stage as well, mm-hmm. because this is, this is still obviously very early on. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think. 
I still think this is a very good story. And I dare say as the series goes on, there will be stories that I'll probably rate a lot higher than this one. But mm. I still... Th- this is a story that I did enjoy and I would quite happily um, come back and listen to again. Yeah. I think it was a lot better on second listening. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. Just because David Williams threw us off. But um, <laughs> I'll never never let that go. <laughs> never. <laughs> thinking why is he dying but he's not dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, if you were to give it a ranking hmm I'm gonna go with a seven no yes (laughs) (laughs) are you sure Kind of, yes. Right, okay. No, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, I give it exactly the same, a seven. I think, um, because overall, I think it's a very good story. It's very well told. There are just one or two things which, which we've mentioned uh, just now. Um, and David Williams again. No. Um, but also, I think there is a part of me that thinks that, because I really love the historical setting of the mm-hmm. story, and I think Mark Gatiss uses it very well. But there is a part of me that thinks that maybe... I mean, given that that there are certain elements of the story which are quite dark, um, especially when we find out more about the villain, Sir Nicholas Valentine, um, and basically he is this mass murderer in his whole house, spaceship, lair, whatever, um, (laughs) is just is is littered with corpses and the whole thing reeks of death. Um, There is a part of me that thinks that may maybe the story could have been a bit more atmospheric yeah uh, more atmospheric than it actually was um Mm -hmm. so although i think it is a very good story and i do enjoy it and i'll happily come back and listen to it uh i still think it holds up um there is there is a part of me that thinks but there's the this is a good story with an excellent story um struggling to get out if i can put it like that just the, the only thing is, that movie that you were referencing before, it's called Waking Ned. Waking Ned? That sounds like the sequel. <laughs> Does, doesn't it? Dead Ned, then Waking Ned. Yeah. I've just found a meme with um, Bruce Willis, and it says, Ned's dead, baby. Ned's dead. Yeah, yeah, because that's, that's what he says in the, the movie. Oh, know... is it? Does he say... No, he says Zed's dead. Oh yes, sorry. Yes, he says yes. But I, I, I found a meme that says "Ned's dead, baby." Ned's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone just misheard it and went, "Oh, I must be dead." Oh, they're just remembering it wrong. But yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, it's um, it's an, an attack on um, David Williams. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, because uh, I don't think anyone could forgive him. Just going, your performance of Quincy Flowers was good, but what was your performance of Ned? What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> He tried. So anyway, before we just uh, go on a a constant loop of bashing David Walliams, um, I think that's it for for this week. Um, I think as a summing up, we we both enjoy the story, just that maybe it potentially could have been better than it was, but still very good. Next week, we'll be looking at the next big Finnish uh, story in the series, which is the Colin Baker story, The Whispers of Terror. So yes, The Whispers of Terror with Old Sixty. And also, if you check on our website, you can find our episode of the podcast where we look back at 
the Sirens of Time. Yes, that's right, and that's at clusterbell.co.uk. You can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also get in contact with us. Uh, please do. We would love to hear from you. You can contact us at Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cloisterbell. We're on Twitter at podcastbell and on Instagram cloister underscore bell. That's right. Yeah. Make sure to like and subscribe or follow mm-hmm. whatever the option is. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Hear the bell, the bell I say.